Our scripture reading this morning is found in Genesis 2, 1 through 9, and then picking up in 15. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was coming up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, that's the question we've been wrestling with together. Uh, again, my name is Nathan. Welcome uh, this morning. So glad that you're here. Let me, let me pray for us, uh, and we'll look at God's word t- together. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful that you have given us uh, your word, showing us uh, what the story of our lives ought to be. God, I pray that your voice would be louder than all the competing narratives around us, that we would hear from you, and that we would long to align our lives accordingly. And ultimately, that we'd find rest in you, Lord Jesus, that you are our rock and our redeemer. Speak now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in case you were ever wondering, uh, there was a time in my life when I, when I had a real job. Um, I haven't always just done this church thing, you know, working one day a week. That joke never gets old, by the way. For those of you who keep using it, you know who you are. Um, awful. But I, I've always, like, as long, as long as I can remember, I've been, I've been a worker. I can remember, like, as an elementary kid student, uh, doing extra chores for months and months and months so that my parents would, would buy me the original Nintendo. I remember that. I remember as a middle schooler, like, I mowed so many lawns to be able to buy my, my first car, summer after summer after summer. Uh, when I was 15, I, I started making sandwiches at Subway. Not sure if I'll ever eat there again. Um, did that for a while. Uh, and, then, and then as a bank teller for, you know, through high school and college into to seminary and, and all of that. And then, then I've done this, uh, this church thing for the last, this last 12 years or so. And I can tell you through all that time, I, a variety of roles, right, different places. There have been times when I, including this one, right, when I've loved my job, uh, times when I've hated it. Uh, times when it felt meaningful and I gave it everything and times when it just felt menial and I, I simply coasted by. And I, I think for, for all of us here this morning, one thing is true, right? And I've heard this often as a pastor. When it comes to work, there are all kinds of tensions that we feel, aren't there? I mean, it's, it's universal uh, for, for all of us. I mean, for some of you, uh, it's that you just, you love work so much you can't stop, Right? 
Like it's, it's everything to you. And so you're always on your phone or your email. You never take a day off or have a real vac- vacation. Like it is, it is your world. Like you love it, but it's, it's like taking everything. Others of you, right? I've heard this from some of you, right? You hate your job or your boss or your coworkers, right? You, you don't, you've been passed over one too many times or you can't make ends meet or, or you know, you, maybe you're retired and you're bored with it or you're a student and you're tired of all the tests or you just can't change any more diapers. Like whatever it is, right? On both ends of the spectrum, we all feel a whole lot of tension in our lives when it comes to work. In fact, there was an article in the New York Times a couple years ago uh, called Why You Hate Work. Here's how it starts. I love the picture to you, right? Just, yeah, that sums it up. Why you hate work. Okay, it start, starts this way. The way we're working isn't working. Even if you're excited enough to have a job, you're probably not very excited to get to the office in the morning. You don't feel much appreciated while you're there. You find it difficult to get your most important work accomplished amid all distractions. And you don't believe that what you're doing makes much of a difference anyway. By the time you get home, you're pretty much running on empty and yet still answering emails until you fall asleep. Ugh. Yikes. It gets worse. Uh, a study showed that just 30% of, a, of employees in America feel engaged in work, in their work. 30%. Like, look around. That's like, that's not very many of you, right? Wow. Three out of 10. Globally, that number is 13%. So we're the lucky ones, right? And here, here's how they, they summarize. They write, for most of us, work is a depleting, dispiriting experience, and in some obvious ways, it's only getting worse. Happy Labor Day, by the way. Uh, enjoy tomorrow, right? Whew. I mean, it's not very hopeful, is it? Now, now let, me, let me just say, some of our frustrations, we'll get to this, some of our frustrations around work are always going to be there. Like, they're just, they're not going away, okay? We'll talk about that. And yet, does it have to be as bleak as, the, as what they say? Like, is there any hope for us that it, it, could, it could be better? Because I'm convinced, yes, yes, work is always going to have problems for us. And yet, I am, I am convinced that for many of us, the struggle that we have comes down to a lie so many of us believe, it comes down to the, the, the story of work that we, that we tell ourselves. And the dominant story for many of us is that it's just a job. It's all it is, just a job. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect who I am. Uh, it's not really that important. It's, just, it's a means to an end. And that, that can be true if you're a workaholic trying to find all your significance in it. It's just a job, so you might as well exploit it while you can, right? Or it can be true if you, if you hate your job and you're just living for the unholy trinity of the American dream, right? The weekend, vacation, and retirement, right? It's just a job. Could there be a better story? And we've been asking that, that question these last few weeks together as a church, right? Um, centered upon this, this book of Genesis way back in the Old Testament, Wrestling with some of these narratives in our, in our world around us and how we begin to believe those, those narratives and they shape, they shape our story. And so we've been asking, is, is the story of my life worth living? Our individual stories, they flow out of the, the stories of our, of our culture and nothing influences your story like the story you tell yourself. And so we've been looking in Genesis 
And we've said this each time, Genesis is is so important because Genesis was written as God's people left Egypt, okay? We've we've talked about this. Uh, They've left the the culture of the Egyptians. They're entering into the world of the Canaanites. And so they have these cultural narratives around them. And God is saying, that is not your story. This, this is your story. He's giving them a better narrative, a better story for them and and really for God's people at at all times. And while you and I, we certainly face new challenges when it comes to work, right, today, things are different than they were back then, and yet our struggle with work is almost as old as humanity itself. In fact, turn to Genesis 3. If you've got a Bible with you, we're going to start there. We'll, we'll go back into chapter 1 and, and eventually into chapter 2, but let's start in chapter 3 because immediately we see why, uh, we, why it degrades into this. it's just a job, Right? It's because work is messy. It hurts. Every job has thorns. Like, I don't care what you do, whether you love it or you hate it, your job has thorns. I mean, I'm sure there are even days when, you know, Salvador Perez doesn't feel like going to work, right? Yesterday was probably one of them, right? <laughs> Whew, it's awful. Talk about thorns. Genesis 3 tells us why, right? That, that when we, we humans rebelled, one of, the, one of the first things to break was our work. And Genesis 3 points out two primary vocations in the, in the ancient world, right? Two things in particular, right? Having babies and working the ground. Like that in the ancient culture, that, that was what work was. And let me even just say, uh, this, is, this is really important. When we talk about work here, we're not talking about getting paid necessarily, I mean, that might be the case, right? And hopefully some of us are getting paid for our, for our jobs. But that's not what it means. That's not what it was for them necessarily there in Genesis 3. Work is contribution. When we, when we say the word work at Christ's community, we mean contribution, not, not a job to get paid. Uh, and that, that means it affects all of us, right? Young, old, you can be a student and you can contribute, right? You can be retired and continue to contribute. You can stay at home like all of us. Everyone in this room, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to this, we're called to contribute, to be a part of God's work in, in this world, whether we get paid or not. So I just want to like, clarify that, okay? Um, and, and certainly we see that with these, with these two ancient vocations. And what's so interesting, right? These ancient vocations, are, they're, they're called out that they, they broke. And every, every job since, God says uh, to the woman, right? Childbearing basically says it's going to feel like labor now. So have fun with that. Um, and to the man, he says, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth you. And down a little bit further, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. We broke the world and we broke our work along with it. And you and I have been sweating with blistered hands ever since. Of course it stinks, right? Of course we feel frustration when it comes to work. And because of this frustration, it makes it so easy to to dismiss, right? Because of the thorns, we think, well, it's just a job. No big deal. But, But when we tell ourselves that story about work, two things happen in particular. First, if it's just a job, why be good at it, right? Who really cares? Right? Just do enough to get by, to get paid, right? That's, if, if that's it, just do the minimum. Why even be moral about it, right? You don't have to be good at it. You don't have to be moral, but just cut corners, right? Do what it takes. I mean, just, just for example, like I had lunch with a friend of mine um, a couple months ago. He's a financial advisor. 
And he just kind of in passing said, like, now he has to sign this document that, that promises, you know, Scout's honor, uh, to, to work in the best interest of his clients. And on the one hand, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's fine. You should probably sign that. On the other hand, I'm like, like, you have to sign a document for that? Like, that is your job. Like, the very definition of, of being an advisor is to help the person you're, you're advising, and yet we know, right, because of the crash of 2008, like that's, well, you know, we just don't want to assume anymore, right? And so that's the fir- first thing. Like if it's just a job, why be good at it? Who really cares? And second, if it's just a job, why not get everything you can out of it? Like if it's just a job, it's about you anyway, so you might as well exploit it. Like if you love it, why ever stop working? As if, as if one day maybe you'll be able to clean out all the thorns and you'll be able to sit back self-satisfied knowing that you've done a good job. And the reality is you can be completely passive in your work or you can make it your number one idol. Either way, if it's just a job, you're going to end frustrated. But there's more to our story. Yes, your job has thorns. But your job is also about so much more. Go back to Genesis 1. We looked at these verses a little bit last week, verse 26. I mean, this is before the fall, before sin, right? Before everything broke. Listen again to what God said when he made us. He said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion, power, authority, right? Then skip down. He says, so so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them and blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply Fill the earth and subdue it. So interesting. Like those, those are the first words recorded for us in God speaking to humanity. And before he says, love me, know me, pray to me, obey me, read your Bible, go to church. Okay. Before he says any of those things, what does he say? Get to work. Like, there, there's a job for you now in, in this place, this garden that I've made for you. There is, there is work to be done. That is, that's the original command to us as humans. And even, even the language here, be fruitful and multiply, it's not just having babies. Like, sometimes we just think that's all it is. That's important. I'm not minimizing that. But being fruitful also applies being fruitful with the land. Like, being fruitful with the, with the work. And again, don't miss this. Like all of this was commanded before the fall, before it fell apart. Like sometimes we think work is, it's, it's because of sin that we have to work. No. Work was around before we sinned. We're made to work. And even if you were to skip ahead of the story in the new creation, heaven, it seems to, seems to be that we'll work there too, that there'll still be a job to do. We were made to work, you and me. Which means your job, it's about more. Two things in particular. We could say a lot, but I think there are two things in particular as I think about this in, in Genesis. We've got to draw out. First, first, if this story is true, it means your work is about God, not you. Which I know is like a pretty shocking statement. Maybe you've never even thought of it in that way. But if this story is true, your work, whatever you do, paid and unpaid, your work is more about God than it is about you. Because he's already been working and he invites us in. That there, there is something divine about your work. Now I realize some of, some of us hate our jobs. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, 
who was Genesis originally written for? God's people as they left Egypt. What was their vocation in Egypt? They were slaves. Like, you think your work is menial, right? You hate your job? Like, think about what they're coming out of. And God says to them right away as they're leaving, no, your story, right? Your story is that you, from the least of you to the greatest, no matter what you do, you work because you're made to be like me. And I'm a worker. And your work, whatever you do, now all of a sudden God is saying, it matters. And it matters a lot. And that ultimately it's about him. Well, where do we, where do we get that? Well, God, as I said, is the, is the first worker. We see that all over the place, especially here in Genesis, but all over the scriptures. But chapter 2, verse 8, I love this. He tells us, yes, to, to work the garden, but who's already been working in the garden? Look at verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man. I love the language that's, that's used, right, that God planted it. Like almost, almost as if he himself gets his hands dirty in this work. And he invites us to labor alongside him. And not, not like the other gods. We talked about that last week, right? right? The Egyptians, the Canaanites, they had their own creation narratives, their stories of how it came to be. And why did the, the gods create us? It's because they were too lazy to do the work themselves, right? That you and I, we're, just, we're worker bees. We're nothing but, but ants, right, in the farm trying to, to do the gods' bidding because they're too lazy to do it. That's not, that is not our story, that was their story, but not, not our God. He makes us in his image. And so we have dominion because he has dominion. We're creative because he's creative. We're workers because he is a worker. And he invites us to work with him. For it says in verse 15, still chapter 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. I mean, to keep it, Right, to preserve it, protect it. Right? We can say a lot there about how important that is. To, to work it means to, to cultivate it. And even just think about that word cultivate. Like, what does that mean? It's shocking, actually. It means make it better. It means take what God made and improve upon it. That we're invited in to, to make it better. I mean, isn't that, isn't that amazing to you? Like, think, think about that for a second. Like, when David was younger, David's my son, he's, um, he's 10 now. And uh, when, when he was younger, though, like, we would play Legos for hours and hours. We'll still occasionally do that, but we would, hours and hours, we'd build Legos. And let me just say, like, I'm, I don't want to brag, but I'm pretty amazing when it comes. I like 30, 30 plus years experience building with Legos. And so I'd get, I would get into my project, right? And I'm, I'm, I am all in. We got it all sort of laid out. And inevitably, like, he'd be like, hey, I'm going to put this piece here, dad, okay? What if we did this, dad? We should, we should do this. I'm not proud of this, and I, nor am I exaggerating. But inevitably, after a little bit, there'd be a time when I, I'd, I'd say, okay, David, how about this? I'll make my version and you make your version, and then we'll compare them at the end, right? We'll look at them, and we'll play, and I mean, basically what I'm saying is, hands off, little man. This is mine, right? It's too good for you to touch. Like, that's what I was saying to my son, right? He was, he was here last service, so I apologize right there. Yeah, he, David, I'm sorry. Um, the creator of the universe does the exact opposite with his creation, Think about the raw materials that God made. I'm talking about a pile of Legos. Like he made everything. 
with, with beauty and, and such goodness and, and usability. Like he made it all. And then he actually, like, basically, like, he says to us, his, his creature said, hey, here, you have a go. I bet you can make it better. Like, think about that. That's what God says to us in this moment. He, and even just think about how this works itself out. And we could do this, we could play this game for, for hours and hours and hours. But think about, like, you know, wheat. Wheat is good. God made wheat. It's good. Bread is better. Right? He could have just made bread, but he's like, no, you guys figure that one out. Milk is good. Cheese. Ice cream. It's better, right? <laughs> Grapes are good. Wine is better. And maybe I'm just hungry. I don't know. But like, like trees. What about trees? I love trees. Trees are good. Shelter from the storm. It's better. Which, which means whatever it is you do. I know sometimes it's hard for us to think about it because we, we get so far removed from maybe the products or, or the services that we offer depending on where we're at in an organization or, or what kind of work we're doing. But think about this. If this is true, the products you're making, the services you're providing, the family that you're raising, the homework that you're studying for, you are joining God in his creative work in the universe. You're picking up his pieces and turning it into something even better. You get your hands dirty with him. I mean, think about that invitation from our God. Some people sometimes, they, you know, refer to my work as the Lord's work, right, as a pastor. Or maybe others will say, you know, if you really want to honor God with your vocation, you need to be a pastor or a missionary, right, something like that. That's not this story. That's not our story, people. <laughs> our story is that every vocation can be God's work, that, that every job can be done to him in, in meaning and, and significance and joy, worshiping the God who made you to work where you're, where you're working. Every job matters because your work is not about you. It's about the God who invites you to work with him. So that's the first thing. It's probably enough, but I'm going to go this, say one more here as well. It's also about your neighbor. I mean, just as, as God, he plants a garden for us, right? He created us, like we're kind of his neighbors in the garden in, in a sense. And he loves us by saying, here, like, here's food to eat. Like, here's a start on, on what you need to be doing in, in your work and in your world. And we get to do the same with our work towards our neighbors. There's really only two commands, Jesus says, right? Love God, love your neighbor. And the primary place, you love your neighbor. Yeah, you can... You can mow their lawn when they're sick. You can offer them encouragement when you see them. But I mean, seriously, how many hours a week are you going to do that? But the place you spend the majority of your time, I think it's work, isn't it? And, and so, for example, if you, if you work at Garmin, I know plenty, plenty of you do, um, if you work at Garmin, like you, you get to love your global neighbors by helping people not get lost so much. Like, that's a big deal, no matter where you're at in, in the hierarchy at, at Garmin, right? And not only that, but you get to love your neighbors by creating jobs all over the world. That's incredible. It's it same, I mean, same if you stay at home with the kids, right? If that's your primary work, you, you're, you get to love your littlest neighbors, right? The ones who actually live in your home by taking care of them, preparing them to love their neighbors in the future. I mean, when I, when I take my car... To the mechanic, I don't know anything about cars. 
at all. So they could just they could sell me anything in that moment. Um, so how does a how does a mechanic love me? Like I pull up in the car and they're like, oh, Nathan, we love you. Like big old hug. Right? No, I would never go back. Like that's weird. I don't want that. They love me by making my car work, right? And by treating me fairly. And so whatever whatever you do, the ordinary and the mundane, like it's an opportunity for you to love the people around you, neighbors that you don't even know, neighbors across the world for some of us, right? That we get to contribute to the good of others' lives without even understanding how it happens sometimes. Let me, let me show uh, an example of that. Here's a beautiful story. Um, you might recognize the, the main person in the video, uh, but don't hold that against it. So, all right. On Saturday, October 11th, 2014, uh, I was flying from New York to Charlotte uh, as a connecting flight back to Kansas City. I was returning from a conference with two of my friends, colleagues, and, and as we were, we were up in the air, um, we noticed that there was a drop in, in uh, temperature in our, in our plane. And it was a little bit alarming, but we're like, oh, no big deal, and I was kind of dozing off. But then our, we started to notice our, our plane dropping in altitude rather quickly. There's a little bit of panic, I'm awake now, and then the panic increased when the oxygen masks deployed from, from above us. I looked at my friend Chris, who's sitting next to me, and we were pretty shocked, but we just put our, our masks on and, and prepared for what was next. We had no idea what it was. No one was telling us what was going on, and the plane started to go down even faster. And in this moment, I. I was honestly reflecting on the fact that this might, this is, this is it. And I got my phone out and began crafting a text message to my wife and my three daughters, letting them know that I love them, that I'm thinking about them, and that, that I'm on a plane, that we're going down. And a few minutes later, the captain came on and notified us that we had lost cabin pressure, uh, that everything else was functioning fine, that we just needed to drop to 10,000 feet uh, so that we could breathe properly. And so obviously, we can now kind of take a big sigh of relief. Um, we can take the oxygen masks off, but, but it was very much a scary moment. Um, and as my friend Chris and I were talking and reflecting and processing about what just happened, we noticed that as these oxygen masks are still dangling in front of us, that on the side of, of the little bag says Lenexa, Kansas, which is a suburb of, of our hometown. And I kind of made a note of that. I was like, that's interesting that this company in my backyard made, made this device that really helped us. Uh, but it wasn't until about a few months later where our church, uh, we were going through a, a sermon series on faith, work, and, and economics, of all things. And it was during that series that I think the Lord was, was doing something in my heart and mind by granting me this kind of imagination for the way in which the work of literally millions of people uh, serves to bless me and make my life better. And, and I, I just started to sit at my desk and look at all the things that makes my life easy, that allows me to do my work well. I was immediately reminded of the oxygen mask. So I got on online and, and just searched for oxygen mask, Lenexa, Kansas. And what popped up was BE Aerospace. And I looked at their website and I didn't even have really a plan. I was just I was just kind of responding. And I, I went and found a, a contact and sent an email and shared the story of the oxygen mask and our, our flight. And, and, and as I'm sharing the story, I, I, I decided to also just share why I wanted to express my gratitude because I saw a connection between the way in which we work and how that blesses and serves our neighbors. And so in the end of that email, I, I said this, if I may be so bold, I'd like to thank God for the work that he has called and equipped your company to do. I know that not many people think of work like this as being work God cares about, but I strongly beg to differ. I believe that God cares deeply about all work that is done well and promotes human flourishing. So again, thank you for your work. 
And please, by all means, keep doing what you're doing and do it well for the common good of all. When I got the email, I said, well, you know, our people work here every day. They know we provide or we produce uh, life support systems, yeah? And I thought it would be a very good message for them to hear it from someone other than their boss, yeah? When Reed came, we had the all-hands meeting, and uh, it was a, a really a fantastic experience because there was probably very few dry eyes, I would say, in the room. And to see that uh, what they are doing every day impacted a person and his family and a lot of other person, you know, around Reed on the aircraft was really something that uh, impacted the people here. It really did. And there were people that came up to me crying and telling me how meaningful it was. No one has ever taken the time to express gratitude for our work. And I was so amazed by that, and it led me to think, gosh, how significant it is for us to pause, to th thank people specifically for their work, to not just make them feel better about what they do, but to also give them a more robust imagination for the fact that God is at work in our world through our work and that God cares about our work because our work is a means by which we love and serve our neighbors for the good of all people and the glory of his name. I love that because it not, not only does it motivate me to have gratitude when people serve me, and I've, I've tried more in the last several months actually. When somebody, I see somebody serving in a place where I am just saying thank you. No matter who they are, what they're doing, whether I direct, just to be grateful that they somehow they're loving me by their service. But it also empowers us in our work, doesn't it? To find those, those ways in which no matter what you do, how is it that your work calls you to love the people around you? It's not just a job. Your work is divine. It is love. And, and if this is true, it, it should mean that what we do, like it matters. Like we should work with, with significance and, and empowerment and, and joy. We should see the meaning, right? See how it matters. And I'm, I'm sure all of you upon hearing the sermon, you're going to, like you can't wait to go to work now, right? You don't even need tomorrow off. Like you're just going to jump right in. Yeah, I'm not convinced either. Um, it's because those thorns really are ugly. And we don't want to minimize the pain that there is. And yet there's one last thing we've got, we've got to cover here, and I want to get practical. Yes, your job has thorns, and yes, your job is about more, right? And that tension, it's not going to go away. And yet your job, it can be better. Maybe not the circumstances, but our, our attitude and our engagement, it can be better. And so let me just give three quick next steps to help us. I want to be practical here. First, first you've got to grow, because none of this is intuitive. Like everything around us in our world, in our culture, it's just a job right? Just get what you can out of it, live for the weekend or retirement, just, you know, just get through it, right? We, we hear those voices all around us, and frankly, we've listened to them, but we can grow. And one of the ways we do that is, is through the people around us, and so you need other doctors and lawyers and construction workers and teachers and students and, and moms and dads, and, and, and we, we, need, we need each other to figure these things out. It's one of the reasons why we have community groups, like small groups meeting at homes where you can actually begin to hear other stories. How are you working this out in your, in your work, in your vocation? I mean, I can tell you how to write a sermon, I guess, um, how to pray with somebody in the hospital, but you need somebody else in your vocation to help you, to encourage you. What does this look like to live out your faith? 
Um, do that, get in a group. Also, we've got a class Reed mentioned a moment called Razors. It starts in the fall. It's designed to help us here. We have a Common Good conference coming up in October. We also have a new book. Maybe you saw this as you come in. Tom, uh, our founding pastor, uh, uh, recently just wrote this. Um, it flowed out of the sermon series that, that Reed referenced in the, the, uh, the video just a moment ago on the intersection of faith, work, and economics. Uh, it's released on Tuesday, but we have a copy for you here. Um, if you'll read it, Okay, don't go sell it on Amazon. Um, read it. It's good. It's really, really good. So please grab one on your way out. They're at both exits. Uh, take one, read it, um, talk about it, find others in your field, and grow. That's the first thing. Second, to grow. Second, worship. Uh, and yes, we need to worship here, gather together on Sundays, and I hope, I pray, <laughs> I, I hope that Sunday worship empowers you for Mondays. I hope that that's true in this place, that you feel more equipped and ready to go uh, to work as a result of being here. If you're not, we're blowing it, um, and we need, we need to do some work. Um, so yes, hopefully that's, that's true, but I, I don't, that's not what I mean, just gathering Sundays on worship. What I mean by worship is like your work, if this is true, your work is a deeply spiritual act, no matter what it is. Like, it matter, like we are always being formed, right, in God's universe. We're always becoming someone, and your work is forming you, the things that you're engaging, you're spending your time on. It, you are becoming someone as a result of the work that you do. Your work ought to be a place of worship. Nothing in our lives is secular. I hate that word. It's not, not in God's universe. Are you kidding? There's no secular. Everything is sacred. Everything matters. In fact, one of, the, one of the words for work in the Old Testament can also be translated as worship. I love that same word, work and worship. They're meant to go together. It's also why the Apostle Paul in, in the New Testament can say to a group of, of slaves, I mean, again, you, you think you hate your job. And Paul here, he's not, he's not condoning slavery. He's saying in the circumstances in which you find yourself, whatever it is, this is how you work, he says. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, like whatever it is, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I mean, what would it, what would it be like? What would the church be like? The church scattered in every place in which God has put you. What would, we, what would it look like for us to do that? To enter every area of work and vocation of contribution as if God himself has put you there and he's your, he's your supervisor. Like, what would it look like on Tuesday to sit down to that test and begin studying or to get through that pile of laundry, right? Leading that meeting, knowing that the God who made you to work is watching you. And what would, what would he even say in your next performance evaluation? Where would he say, yeah, this, you need, this is not, you need to grow here, right? What would he point out? Because the reality is, you and I, we were made for work and worship, for both of them. But with Christ, we can do both together. And finally, the last thing here, so grow, worship, and rest. Rest. And maybe that feels weird in the sermon on work, but even God rested in our story, right? It's such an amazing thing that God does that. He works six days of creation, then he, then he rests. Like, why? He's not, he's not tired, obviously. What, what, what is he doing? Well, again, he's saying to a bunch of former slaves as they leave Egypt into a new land, I didn't make you to be slaves. Like, you can rest because God is, he's the one who's in control of the universe. He's showing us that, yes, we were made to work, but we were not made to be slaves. And some of us, let's be honest, you work as if you're a slave. 
Your life looks like you're a slave. You don't have to be a slave. That's not what God has rescued you for. That's not what he's called, called you for. You can rest. You don't rule the universe. And it's, it's in our rest that we are renewed in our purpose and our joy to join with God again in his work. Don't forget to take a day off. And of course, there's only, there's only one way it's possible that we can rest, right? Because there's so much to do. It's, it's never enough, and Jesus is our boss, right? So, like, he's looking over our shoulder. Some of us are afraid he's going to start barking out commands or something like that. And, and So how do we rest? Well, the reality is, friends, he's already done the ultimate work on our behalf. And if, if you're with him, then he, as your supervisor, always says, well done, even when you fail. Like, he's, not, he's not naive, but this is what he died for, right? This is what he's rescued us out of so that he can always say, you are mine. You're loved and you're good. Jesus did that work on the cross and through the tomb, right, to empower us so that we can serve him wholly, freely, forgiven and with great hope. That means we have an ability to work with dignity no matter what we do and an ability to rest in him. It's not, it's not just a job. It is a delight before the God who made us, who calls us, and who works alongside us. And it's, it's in this confidence, right, of this God who's always working, of, of Jesus who, who finished the work for us, and, and the, the Spirit who empowers us to actually live. It's in, it's in this confidence that we can come now to his table. And we're going we're gonna to do that. We're going to take communion together, because this is, this is the place of our rest, our joy, our motivation, Right? symbol of everything that we hold on to for hope, that Jesus died on our behalf, but he didn't stay dead so that we, we could know him and be with him and work alongside him. Lord Jesus, I am so grateful. Um, wow, that you, I'm just, I'm so blown away that you have called us into this incredible world and this incredible work and that no matter what we do, we get to serve you, we get to be like you. We get to love our neighbors, both our coworkers and the people that we serve with our work. God, what a, what a gift that is. Forgive us for the ways that we let the thorns take over, even our imagination of what could be. God, I pray that you'd help us through those thorns, but also would you give us, give us joy and purpose and meaning in all that we do, no matter what it is. And ultimately, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have, um, you have done your work for us. And that we can come to your table, we can eat with you with, with joy in your presence, knowing that we're forgiven and restored and that you have called us by your spirit to yourself. Commune with us as we, as we come, Lord Jesus, in Christ's name. Amen. Now, by way of eye service, not by way of eye service as, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Go in peace.